Howdy, folks. I've got a new interview today with another uh, Russian expert professional person. Uh, I spoke to Kimberly Zentz, a, the, a senior in international threat intelligence researcher at an organization with a really long multisyllabic name in German, but it translates to the German Cybersecurity Organization. And Kimberly spent over a, a decade working on cybersecurity, specifically focused on uh, the Russian internet and Russian cybercrime. And we had a really interesting conversation in the same vein as some of my previous interviews where I spoke to Russian professionals, Russian area studies professionals about how they got into the work that they're doing now. And uh, Kimberly's experience is really interesting because she, the, the job that she has now didn't exist when she started it. And, and you'll find, you'll hear in the interview that she had to sort of develop and invent it and design it as she did it. And one of the things she pointed out after our interview ended kind of abruptly, because as you'll see, the audio quality kind of goes to hell, unfortunately, on my end. Her audio sounds great, so this should still be okay for listeners. But at any rate, uh, the, the, the audio kind of died before she could say that, that the job that she has now didn't exist when she started, but now it does exist, and there are whole teams and internships. So if you are interested in this kind of work, then you could reach out to her, and I'll put her Twitter Twitter handle in the description of this podcast. And she encouraged people to reach out. This is something that she wants more people to get involved in. And there, there are people out there studying Russia, studying the area, and this is a real opportunity. So I hope that this sort of thing will be interesting to you. Kimberly, could you walk me through your job or your jobs today? I mean, like, uh, who are you and, you know, what are you working on currently? Um, okay, sure. My main job is at the Deutsche Cybersicherheitsorganisation, which is German for the German Cybersecurity Organization. It's actually a private company. It was founded by four German companies, Volkswagen, Allianz, Bayer, and BASF, to pool their cybersecurity resources. But now we also have roughly 30 other companies, all German, on our advisory council. They don't own any part of the company, but they do have access to our research and we do participate in information sharing. And the idea there is that a lot of these companies are paying to do the same thing individually. If they can pool all their resources, they can A, save money, but also it's supposed to allow us, the pooled resources, to go a lot further with our research than individual companies could do. I personally, um, I'm responsible for threat intelligence, which is, I mean, it's intelligence about threats is really what it is. It's kind of a horrible name, but it's mm -hmm. helping organizations <laughs> kind of understand the, the risks of and of kind of what they need to be thinking of in the future to best defend themselves, who's going after them, what kind of attacks are being used to target them what kind of security precautions they could be taken. And for what I do, it's it's a step outside of the traditional threat intelligence, which is purely technical. I was brought on because I've been doing it for a bit before in the States, um, looking at the contextual threat intelligence. That's looking at regional threats, at actor groups in those regions, political and social issues. Uh, in, my, in my case, it's, there's like cyber criminal underground. There's a lot of hacktivism, which is like online politically motivated activity, which can be by independent actors. It can be by nation states. It can be by teenagers. It even is sometimes, but rarely what I see. Um, and, and it's kind of just explain overall what's going on. My, my particular interest is the Runet, which is the Russian speaking internet. Probably most of your listeners know what that is. But it is Russia, but it is not only Russia. 
Um, right. Russia is the, has the most activist activity, but there's also the most people. Um, we also see a lot of stuff coming out of Ukraine, less Central Asia, the Baltics, Belarus. Um, and, and so that's kind of what I personally do in my research is I ex- try to explain what's going on in the Runet that could pose a threat to my owners and customers and partners. I used to, at my previous job, actually do a lot of research in Russia. Now I'm based in Berlin, but when I was in Russia, I worked with a lot of really great people there. Um, Also, as part of what I'm doing now, I'm also a fellow at the Atlantic Council, where I was brought in because they were trying to find someone who could merge both the Russia and the cyber. Mm -hmm. And and that's actually why I wanted to come talk to you. I was very glad to take this opportunity. It's because for all the regions, there is roles in the industry for merging both the regional knowledge, the contextual knowledge, the social knowledge, and the cybersecurity. And there's not one clear tr- like track to get there professionally. So it's actually really hard to find great people who can do it. But if you have that regional and contextual knowledge, you can actually make a step into the industry and really do something very helpful. Okay. And so, I mean, what is your personal background? Did, did you all, you, you say that you have worked in a lot of ways on the, the regional expertise aspect of this, of this uh, field. And so that's how you, presumably you came at this. And so you have personal experience sort of doing that. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Once upon a time, I got a master's degree at Georgetown at the Center for Eastern European and Russian Eurasian Studies. Um, I thought I was going to do traditional economic security stuff. That's where I was headed. I, I got a job at Jane's Information Group doing traditional security analysis. But I did a little bit of graphics design on the side, which has nothing to do with what I do now. But I knew so little okay. that I thought it did. I was like, yeah, computers, yeah, it's probably all the same. Mm-hmm. And so when I was given an opportunity to get into the cybersecurity side, I didn't know I didn't know how to do it. So I said I would. And... Then I interviewed at my former employer at the United States. I worked for VeriSign iDefense for 10 years. And I interviewed for them for, for, to be kind of their Russia point person. And I realized halfway through the interview, I wasn't qualified. And I said that in the interview. And they said, we know. Mm-hmm. But we've been looking for someone for six months. And the person we want does not exist. And at this point, we're looking for someone who just knows enough that we figure out that they can learn the rest. I worked there for four days. They sent me to Russia. They sent me to a conference where the people there asked me, what do you do? I had to say again, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But if you could please tell me, I'd be really interested to know the kind of things that you think are important, the kind of things that you're seeing. And I just cold called companies, like some of the bigger companies there. I approached people at the conferences. I used a few network connections that I did have there to try to just talk to people and interview as many people as I could. And that's how I got going. And then in terms of doing research in Russia, I just went. Like, there, there was not like a program at my company or anything. I just said I wanted to go. Yeah. And I went and I started calling people. And so at this point, you're there with a master's in security. And so in security studies, is that is that right? Well, technically it's regional studies. Regional it's part studies. of the School of Foreign Service, yeah. Eastern European, Russian, Eurasian studies. And then within that, you get a focus. And my focus is government and economics. And so at that point, you're comfortable talking about what exactly macroeconomics and with a specific with this focus on on russia recent russian history or i mean how would it be fair to describe um well, i mean standard russian government classes of course my interest at the time was actual central asia okay. and a lot of migration things related to that okay. 
very different than what it is now. So you've been looking at like immigration flows or I mean, like, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. I, I mean, some of the, some of the demographic issues in Central Asia, some of the eco- related from the fact that so many men have gone, yeah. some of the economic impacts of the remittances, some of the issues in Russia mm-hmm. related to so many migrants being there. But I did study the standard Russian government classes. Yeah. And, you know, that was something I was responsible for knowing at my first job out of grad school. Yeah. Yeah. And then also I I worked in Uzbekistan. I had an internship there. And then to to work on my Russian for a while, I went to the Russian Far East, got a job at an NGO there because I thought I'd learn Russian or die. Mm -hmm. And did German come, did German come later or did you, did you already know German? I've always, I've always spoken German. My father's Austrian. I see. And so when you cold called these businesses in, in Russia, what kind of things did they tell you? Um, the kind of things like would they meet with me or the kind of things that they'd tell me if they did meet with me because <laughs> a lot of them said no. Well, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that's what they told me when I called um, or yeah. when I emailed rather. But a, a lot of uh, cybercrime yeah. concerns, um, particularly in Russia, gets a lot of attention for cybercrime coming from Russia and that's certainly an issue. But they also have, they also have cybercrime within Russia. So a lot of a lot of um, fraud targeting the businesses, a lot of fraud targeting financial institutions, some of the challenges in law enforcement. Um, like Russia, like every other country, has a capacity issue in dealing with cybercrime. There's just not enough like police investigators and prosecutors and judges who understand the cases. There's just not there's not enough private sector people you can lean on. And that's actually gotten harder as time has gone on as well. So they talked about that a bit. Um, some industrial espionage that's not a particularly popular topic in Russia, so it didn't come up a lot. And I would never push someone to talk about something they didn't want to talk about. Why Russia? I, I think I forget to ask people, a lot of people that because I don't have a good answer myself, but maybe you do. Why? What drove you to want to work on Russia specifically once you got to this sort of... Oh, I love it. Yeah, just just, just prima facie. <laughs> just, it's I just love Russia. <laughs> I wanted to take it. I want to say, all right, I want to take German when I was 14 because I was lazy yeah. and I thought I'd get an easy A. Sure. And But I wasn't clever or sneaky enough to fail the placement exam. Oh. So they said I couldn't take German. Oh, I see. And from the Austrian side, my village was actually, and where my father's from in Austria, was the front during World War II. And I grew up hearing a lot of horror stories about the Ulsen, the terrible Russians. Mm-hmm. So just to be contrary, I said, fine, I'll take Russian. I see. Okay. And then my school had a trip to Russia for two weeks Mm. and ended up really liking it. And I have no huge reason beyond I just really like it. Like I like a lot of parts about the culture. I have a really good time. I have good good friends there. Um, Russia has real problems. I'm not completely blind to those, particularly because that's all I research all day. But I I think it's, it's kind of underrated as a country. And I just always really enjoyed spending time there. So my first plan was just to find a way to get to Russia. Then after that, I actually started trying to build my career I see. and then really be a better researcher. Right, right. Okay. Well, you told me in an email, you said that your field requires uh, understanding of both regional and technical issues and that people typically only focus on one of these and that almost nobody in the non-technical world even knows that uh, that there are jobs out there for them in this field, let alone, you know, f- figures out or, or goes out and pursues them. What, like, what are some of the jobs that, that exist that, that, that you're talking about? Well, the big ones are the regional threat intelligence analysis. And some of those you will get, um, I'm sorry, depending on the company, of course, some of those will focus on espionage. They, that can either be nation state espionage and there are private sector jobs that look at that. 
or it can be industrial espionage, which is, doesn't get as much news, but is a real issue and is quite concerning to the companies that get targeted. Um, crime and fraud as well. But some, some of the bigger companies have big enough risk management programs that they want to know everything. They want to know about social issues. They want to know about groups and organizations. They want to know you know, if a potential trends, they, they want to know all the big stuff that's happening. And coming in with an understanding of how the society works makes it a lot easier when you're trying to pull together all the data points to understand what these larger patterns are and what these contextual things are. And that, that's actually our value add. Like, we're not trying to summarize the news. We're not trying to even catch a particular cyber criminal. All of that works. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more to tell our customers how the attacks against them are being structured and what they can expect. And then also how the environment that the attackers are operating on is structured and what they can expect there. Mm -hmm. And this can be, I mean, for some of the big ones, it can be everything. I mean, they have presence in the region. They worry about the politics of the region. They worry about, you know, for for example, back when I worked in the States, when there was a big debate in Ukraine about using Ukrainian versus Russian, they were getting attacks related to that. And they didn't understand why. They didn't even know it was a debate. They couldn't figure out why they were getting these angry emails and then like attacks following up because their marketing just used Russian and Ukraine and they had no idea that this could be a problem. So something even that simple, if you could explain to them why the attackers are angry, is valuable to them. You found that, because you you say that you, when you entered this field, you didn't really have the technical background. And is that something that people interested in this can expect to learn on the job? Or should they be, yeah. should they be trying to? Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> it sounds, when you, when I hear you talk about this stuff, it sounds like, whoa. There's a bit of a learning curve in the beginning, but no one expects me to reverse engineer malware, for example. That's not what I do. And that's not what I'm there for. And it's not an expectation. If I could understand a report that someone else writes, that I could pull out the few data points I need to make, like connect it to some some personal information I could have, or looking at, I mean, there's this vast underground economy with a lot you can look at that's not technical. So I can just pull out the data that I need to reference it to that, then that's enough. And I mean, I'm still learning. But I also, I mean, I have their whole departments that do that, that studied that, that are great at that. And I lean on them whenever I need help. Hearing about this, obviously, there's been, there's been a lot of uh, politics involving uh, Russian, uh, Russian cybersecurity and Russian cyber threats in the last year or so. And I was wondering, like, how has that affected uh, working in your field now? I mean, is it, do you think it's become, has it made it more politicized or polemicized or, or, or is your, or the professional sort of above that? Or, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? The pure professionals are largely above that. Yeah. Um, these are people that I've worked with for years that I've known for years. They know me, um, or they're fairly serious about their jobs. The problem is everybody else, which is a large group of people. So there are, Issues both with you know people who are paying you also sometimes they they've ex- kind of expect something a bit sensational, or people from other teams expect something a bit sensational. So if you can't deliver that, then they think you've gotten it wrong. On the other side, you know because I still do work with researchers in the region. Some of them are all of a sudden afraid because either they believe it too that like possibly it could be Western influence efforts, or they're afraid that even if they think everything is fine, someone else could perceive it and that would cause problems for them. And that was never an issue before. Before I just had to convince someone that I personally was worth working with. Um, it's actually a bit disappointing. Uh, Russia likes to talk about Russophobia a lot. I don't see a lot of true 
true Russia hate Russophobia, but I do see like some kind of well, how do I know they're not just trying to hack everything kind of stuff on one side, and then on the other side, on the on the the Runet side, this why would you possibly be interested if you didn't have something to get out of this? Which is, I think it's a different type of Russophobia. It's like the self-hating Russophobia. Like I couldn't possibly like the country unless I had a reason. So, so I, I guess, yeah, it's it's there. It's it's gotten a bit frustrating, and also within Russia, infighting between amongst the security services has increased, which has sort of affected everything in the industry, not just me. And that that kind of makes it a bit harder too. Right, and so yeah, so that that sounds like when uh, when I was reading about the kind of work that you do. Um, I immediately thought about the allegations against like Kaspersky Lab and FSB and the GRU and the SVR and that sort of thing. And I'm curious, does that an area where your regional expertise is is really in demand, or is that is that just, is that does that not stand? Oh out? yes. Okay. So yeah. So um, can, can you offer kind of like a because this is this is an, a story that has has kind of confused and confounded me in the last few weeks because there have been some some breaks in the story by some Russian media outlets and they've, it's gotten even more convoluted than it already was. And I was wondering, you know, what's what's your take on, on a, a story like this? This is hard just to put out simply. I had to write a report. I, I personally wrote a report on this and it was 80 pages. Okay. Um, <laughs> which I shrunk down to 30. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Just trying, trying to pull all, all the different pieces together. Um, but... I think when you're talking about the news, you're talking about the the guy from Lurk, the the Lurk um, cybercrime operation, claiming right. that Kozlowski. yeah, Kozlowski, that he, on behalf of the arrested FSB agents and Kaspersky cybersecurity director, hacked the DNC and possibly was responsible for the WannaCry ransomware outbreak as well. Um, I'm very skeptical that he did that. Um, I, I'm not the only one this has been covered. In terms of WannaCry, some of the press said he thinks that he was responsible. If you look, what he says is he saw a TV report on it, and the, the creators of WannaCry had taken an element of code that some of his guys had written and repurposed it. So I don't know, maybe that's true. Um, but the other one seems very improbable that he actually did that, including the fact that some of the things he claimed credit for, he was already in prison at that time. Some of the other stuff has been attributed to an, a campaign that has been attributed to the FSB, but that campaign is the one that targeted one of the ones that targeted the DNC. It hasn't just targeted the DNC. It has targeted thousands and thousands of targets for multiple years. It's very odd to me that all of a sudden this known criminal who was under investigation by the FSB, they arrested him. They put him in prison. They weren't protecting him. They knew that he was going to go to jail soon, and yet they would somehow insert him into this multi-year effort with tremendous resources. It just seems very unlikely. So that's that sounds like a real clear case where where you know having technical expertise is helpful certainly, but having the regional knowledge is because it's just thinking theoretically. When I was reading your job description, it was hard to kind of imagine like, oh man, like cybersecurity, you you must need to know how to you know backwards engineer malware as you put it. But but uh, this case is is one where it seems like the political context is is so vital to making sense of it. And I you know what you just described is is uh, I don't know it's it's very interesting and it, it helps me kind of make sense of what I have read so far. Um, but so is that is that kind of story um, is that typical? You think in, in what you what you've encountered in your job, or is that a, does that kind of stand out as being particularly outlandish? Well, the level, the type of analysis is typical. The actual story is pretty outlandish. It's not every yeah. day that convicted Russian cyber criminals claim that they hacked Hillary Clinton. Uh-huh. Like, no, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, also, that you know FSB agents would be arrested, and yeah. I mean, none of that sure, is sure. typical okay. at all. 